Welcome back to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. The New England baseball scene is a bit of a mixed bag this fall, with some Division I schools hosting team workouts, while other schools remain on hold due to restrictions stemming from the pandemic. At the prep and high school levels, players seem to be finding the final opportunities to perform at showcase events and tournaments before the winter weather brings the 2020 baseball season to a close. Our first guest is Phillips Andover coach Kevin Graber, who offers a unique unique perspective as the leader of one of the most successful prep programs in New England, as well as being an associate scout for the New York Yankees. He breaks down the fall baseball scene on the Andover campus and also shares his impressions on this summer's area code games and other premier scouting events. Our second guest is Milwaukee Brewers Northeast Regional Scout, Ty Blankmeyer. The son of legendary St. John's University baseball coach Ed Blankmeyer, Ty is a former professional baseball player who has spent the pandemic connecting New England players with college recruiters over Zoom conferences. He also gives his outlook for what should be a 2021 MLB draft stacked with top-notch New England prospect. For coverage of pro and college prospects, recruiting, commitments, and prep baseball, visit the New England Baseball Journal website at baseballjournal.com. Now let's get right to the interview with Andover coach Kevin Graber. In 10 seasons as coach at Phillips Andover, Kevin Graber has led the team to 10 consecutive Central New England prep Final four appearances, including four championships in the last eight years. His 2018 and 2019 teams finished ranked number one in New England, according to the year-end New England Baseball Journal coaches poll. KG, welcome to the pod. Dan, thanks so much for having me, and thanks so much for all that you guys do in New England Baseball Journal and publicizing baseball in New England at the college level and for these high school kids. It really is amazing. There was nothing there before you guys filled that space. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, And it's been fun keeping up with it, especially during the pandemic when, you know, we're looking for local sports. And um, this is a big year. It seems like there are a lot. There's a lot of talent coming in uh, seniors class of 2021, as well as, you know, the Major League Baseball prospects. This 2021 draft is going to be pretty stacked. Is that uh, is that kind of what you've experienced this spring and summer? Yeah, I mean, just from personal experience, our class of 2021 is 10 players deep and and they're all when, you know, they're all college baseball commits. And, you know, we have three kids that are, you know, getting a a bunch of a draft buzz right now. You know, Jonathan Santucci, who's a Duke commit from our class of 2021. He's a two way guy, you know, left handed pitchers up in the 90s, but also an amazing center fielder. And he smashes at the plate. And Jack Penny's a a Notre Dame commit. Um, He's a shortstop middle infielder, left handed stick. And of course, you know, Thomas White, who's in our class of 2023. So we, we could see three, well, two in the draft this year and then a third one eventually, but, you know, all in this program right now. Yeah. Yeah. I saw Santucci. Well, I saw, um, I went to the area code games tryouts this summer and, uh, Santucci, I was impressed with him. He came in, I want to say this was a game up in, uh, Nashua. And he came in like in the seventh inning just to get an inning. And all of a sudden, you know, he's throwing 92 from the left side. And you're like, wow, this kid's a stud. And Penny is just a good play. You know, he was always on base. He's always kind of keeping things moving in the order. He was he's a really good player, too. Yeah, Penny, um, you know, one of our best teams we probably ever had was 2018. And we had a, a senior laden group that that year. We had some injuries and Jack ended up our starting shortstop, you know, in our championship run. And he was a little 14 year old ninth grader. And uh, 
he did not look out of place at all. In fact, you know, he made every play and had great at bats and, you know, runs the base as well. And I was like, okay, he's, he's going to be pretty good. Yeah. And he's going to Notre Dame. You have Santucci going to Duke. LJ Keevan uh, was a UMass Lowell commit, I think, in the spring during, you know, right at the start of this. And, um, yep, and we have, uh, yep, Sebastian Mexico uh, received a scholarship from Fordham University. So there's another Division One guy. And Matt Sapienza is a scholarship kid at Georgetown University, right-handed pitcher. Yep. Uh, Jacob Lapp had Division One options but ended up at uh, – committing to Tufts University and Eric Jarnese just committed to Assumption University. And then we got Jack Palfrey and Sammy Rosenfield who are just, just figuring out their college baseball commitments right now, but they are coming. And then uh, big Ben Carbo is going to be a college football guy. So that's, that's a pretty rocking class of 2021. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's huge. Now, has recruiting been a lot different during the, I know, you know, their dead period in terms of visiting schools and you can't have coaches on your campus, what, how has it changed? Has it been harder to get these guys looks? Well, the majority of our guys have been so high profile that they were, it wasn't a problem for them. Right. You know, the, I think the, the roadmap, a roadmap can be seen in Sebastian, Mexico because Sebastian actually spun the pandemic to his benefit, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, when we shut down operations as a school and all of the other schools did as well last spring and, found out there was no baseball, you know, Seb got to work. He, uh, you know, they, they created a fitness center in their basement and he made sure he got bigger, faster and stronger. And he was doing driveline throwing program and hitting program. And he was broadcasting all of it on social media. Mm-hmm. So he, he took it as a, as an opportunity to get bigger, faster, stronger, but also publicize himself. And we did our best to publicize him as well. And then when he hit the showcase circuit this summer, he just, you know, he put out a new and improved product that was, uh, you know, he just created some buzz for himself. So I think that's the difference is, is during the pandemic, um, during the shutdown, you know, kids, kids had to be really, really proactive and sort of take the bull by the horns. And he's a perfect example of how you can do that. Yeah. And we follow uh, you guys on Twitter, um, you know, Philip Sandover Baseball. And we um, I saw a couple of weeks ago, I think it was like October 10th, <coughs> classes yeah. of 2022 and 2023 came back on campus. What sure. has been the start of the school year been like? Do you have do you have your team back on campus at this point? Well, as a school, we've we've uh, described it as a phased return to campus. So we invited uh, new ninth graders to, to come to campus. We're boarding school you know we have kids from 50 states and 46 countries right. you know we're like 20 percent day students as well as so we have day students who come from really close to campus but you know we invited the ninth grade boarders to come we invited the senior boarders to come understanding that after a, a certain amount of time we we're going to invite what we call cohort two so more kids to join if that first cohort went well mm-hmm. and we gave kids a choice though we gave them a choice to, to come and be in dorms or or be remote from home the majority of our, you know, varsity returning varsity baseball playing kids chose to remain home and do the virtual schooling just because they were able to get out there and play fall baseball and, you know, do some of the perfect game events and 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 go down to Florida and play in that that you know season ending event there, and you know do their workouts and stuff like that. But we have had a fall baseball training this fall, which is a first because typically, you know, we're not allowed to, to, to gather as a team like that in the fall, but it's been so fun, Dan, because it's been such a range of kids. Like we have three or four returning varsity kids who are, who are here with that group. And we have like four ninth graders who are really good baseball players, but a range of kids in between, uh, 
in addition, including, you know, four, ki- four kids who like don't own baseball gloves. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's pretty much just me out there. I have a little bit of help with a faculty colleague, uh, Coach Dignard. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a great challenge to create like a fun, rewarding learning experience for such a range of kids. Like I've never had a challenge like that before. Yeah, that's that's kind of taking it back to the to the roots of the game. But it's interesting because when I was re- uh, reading through your bio, I guess it was um, so you played both college and professional baseball, and yeah. then you've also coached at both those levels. Coached at the prep uh, or before moving to prep, I should say. Um, yeah. What was your what was the process? What made you decide to coach uh, at the prep level and go back to Andover? Yeah, it's so funny to say. Can I tell you a funny story? Yeah, go um, for it. When I when I first arrived at Andover, um, I was running a dorm and this, this little ninth grader Googled me, not a baseball kid, but you know, how people Google each other nowadays. Yeah. And he said, uh, everybody calls me KG and he was like, KG. Um, so I read about you online. He said, you, uh, were in pro ball. Then you coach college ball. Now you're coaching high school ball. He goes, what's next? Little league. I thought that was pretty funny, but the story is, you know, I had managed in professional baseball for, you know, a number of seasons. And then when my wife and I, my wife, Tina and I, Tina's my hero, when we started having children, you know, managing in minor league baseball was no longer conducive to being a good father. Yeah. Uh, Right. You know, 120 games in a tin can, you know, 12 hour bus rides. uh, It was tough. And I thought that making the transition to, you know, working on college campuses um, would be more conducive to having a family life. And I was right about that. Yeah. And we landed at Amherst College in 2000, and we spent eight years at Amherst College, 2000 from 2008. And I did a lot of different things at Amherst. Um, you know, I was the uh, uh, sports information director. I was the director of alumni and parent programs. And I also coached baseball with Coach Thurston on the coaching staff there. My last couple of years at Amherst College, I really got the itch to get my graduate degree. And um, I had this this dream of maybe I wanted to, to be a high school uh, English teacher. Um, finishing that graduate degree, it opened up some doors that I didn't intend. Um, and one of the opportunities that dropped, dropped like out of the sky was the opportunity to apply for a faculty position here at Phillips Academy Andover. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy cow, that, that place is pretty prestigious. Uh, yeah. That might be a good opportunity. <laughs> and then I visited the place and it was just love at first sight. And, you know, I could have stayed at Amherst and been a candidate for that coaching position, which was going to become vacant because Coach Thurston, Bill Thurston, legendary head coach, had been there for, I think, 44 years when all was said and done. At that point, he was about ready to retire. Yeah. So we had a choice to make, you know, stay in Amherst, maybe be a candidate for that position or, you know, accept this incredible opportunity at Phillips Academy Andover. And, you know, the clinching factor for me was not only how awesome Andover is and how great the students are because it's a really selective school and the academic program is amazing. But I also felt like because I had had experience at the pro level, because I had had so much experience at the college level, I felt like I could create a baseball program here that provided something a little bit different. I felt like we could coach these kids at a level beyond what sometimes high school baseball is coached. felt like we could have a program that produces kids who arrive at college baseball and what they arrive to when they get to college baseball it, it feels and looks a lot like what they've experienced here. So they arrive really, really well prepared. So I thought that would be a neat challenge. Yeah. I was going to ask because um, like, like you said, you've got 10 commits this year. Uh, I talked earlier about the sustained success that you guys have had with uh, championships and um, final four appearances. It, would you, would you attribute that to the kind of the unique coaching that they're getting on campus? 
Well, I mean, we're sitting on an oil field of amazing kids as well. I mean, you know, one of the great things about Andover is that there's such a flight toward Andover because of the quality of the experience. Yeah. And so, you know, I've always felt uh, upon arrival that we could have kids who are a match for the academic program who also play baseball. And, and to me, I define a kid who, who's a baseball player as a kid who plays baseball in the summer. Mm-hmm. I think baseball is a summer game, even more so sometimes than it is a spring game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that was the goal initially. Um, my, my goal for myself was to get out there in the summer, you know, coach some baseball. I do coach uh, the, the 15U team for the New England Roughnecks every summer, which is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I am an associate scout for the New York Yankees, so I, I do help with, you know, a bunch of their scouting events like the Area Code Games and the Summer Rivalry Classic. And you know, I've been a part of the East Coast Pro Showcase before. And just uh, getting out there and getting my name out there and meeting families who have kids who are rocking students who also play baseball and just creating a, blank, a brand for our program, which I call Big Blue Baseball because I'm a huge fan of alliteration. I'm a huge fan of marketing. Yep. Um, and, you know, the momentum has built. And, you know, we had our first good team in 2012. Um, you know, we won a championship and we, we sent a bunch of kids out there to college baseball and we've been rocking and rolling ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, and at risk of making this uh, too long of a story, Dan, one of the interesting things about our program is the success we have and the success we've had isn't a product of having like a million baseball playing kids. You know, I've actually, in my time here, I've never had more than 24 kids try out for varsity baseball and we keep 18 at the varsity level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's very Andover. You know, Andover is really selective. We have the largest applicant pool and we're the most selective school in terms of admit rate. Um, and we're never going to have like a hundred of one kind of kid. You know, we're going to have a small group of kids who are really good at baseball. We're going to have kids who are like unbelievable at competitive math. We're going to have amazing cellists. Uh, we're going to have kids who are in the world languages and social justice issues and community service. And together we make this really intentionally diverse student community. So I describe the baseball playing community we have here as small but really impactful. There's not a ton of us, but the kids we have are really, really good. And because there's not a ton of them, I get to play a major role in their lives, and I know all of them intimately. And I live here on campus with them. So it's kind of a perfect storm of this really cool baseball culture we've created that I don't know if I anticipated it to go this well, but it's certainly been super rewarding. Yeah, it is. Uh, What a beautiful campus. I live uh, just like 10 minutes up the road in Lowell, and once in a while I'll just – uh, go over there to go for runs because it's such, especially this time of year in the fall. It's such a nice place to to run around and check out the the scenes. Um, now, yeah, you mentioned that you're an associate scout for the New York Yankees. What does that entail? Like, what it, what are your responsibilities with that? Well, Matt Hyde is uh, the Northeast scout for the New York Yankees, and Matt Hyde is a proud Andover alum, class of 1992. Yeah. And when I came on board, you know, Matt and I had known each other a little bit. Um, but we felt like it was it was a, it was a good match. It would be good for our program, and also just you know I love being around the, the scouting events and being around pro ball because you know I, that's where I come from. I come from from pro ball to a certain degree. Yeah. Um. You know, my role is to help out at those events. My role is to keep an eye on every kid we play against. Um. My role is to kind of know what's going on in the Northeast baseball wise, and then come sprinting to the scene when called upon. Yeah. Now, with information, usually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you were at those area code games tryouts this summer too, weren't you? I always am. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who were the players that jumped? Out? Obviously, we did it. We just had a cover feature on Josh Baez. He's kind of the the big, um, you know, pros- high school prospect. Dennis Collarin was up to you know ninety seven this summer. Who were some of the guys that jumped out to you? 
Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned Baez. I mean, that's the you know I took great interest in him because he he plays for a team in our league, right? Uh, yeah. You know, we haven't we haven't seen him yet because we didn't have a season last spring. But yeah. uh, I'm watching him and just how impressive he is physically and just how impressive he is as a kid and how he presents himself. Yeah. I'm also watching to see how maybe we could pitch him this spring. <laughs> yeah. And I think the answer to that is walk him. Right. It's going to be tough. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that that's you know he was definitely a kid who stood out in my mind and and. Uh, you know our own guys. You know Jonathan Santucci and and Jack Penny and and uh, you know Thomas White coming out there as a as a 15 year old and doing what he was able to do. I was like, all right, go boys. Yeah, I can't wait to see him on the mound this uh, this spring. Um, yes. Now I was talking. You had mentioned earlier, and this is probably part of the answer to my question. But you got you're also great on social media. You know you you create these graphics and uh, it just looks like a fun program to be around. Uh, and I was going to ask who does the social media, but it would kind of explain if you were a sports information director. Are you in charge of all that stuff? Yeah, so Dan, not many people know this, but my background is in communications. Um, I was a communications major in college. My first job out of college was with the Marketing Communications Connection in upstate New York. Wow. Where it was our job to pub- publicize Minolta document imaging systems and also a chain of hospitals in the Northeast. So. You know, I cut my teeth writing press releases. Um, that was pre-web era, but you know, photography and, and mailing things to media outlets, and, and so I just got a sense of like how to publicize a brand, how to you know a company. Yeah, and that's always stayed with me. And then you know, in the college realm, in addition to coaching baseball, you know, I was a sports information director. And if folks don't know what a sports information director does. Like that's literally your job is to oversee the web presence, publications, game day operations, photography, uh, media relations. It's a big job. And that's what I was doing like 24 seven in addition to whatever I was doing with baseball. Hmm. And so I just brought all that stuff with me when I took over this program. And yeah, so uh, the first thing was like, all right, what do we call ourselves? And big blue baseball seemed like a natural because it just sort of rolls off the tongue. Yeah. It's like, all right, we need a visual identity too. So I came up with logos and, and uh, you know, word marks and, and branding. And that was fun as well. And then, of course, you know, we, we, we sort of flooded social media, um, you know, whether it's Twitter, um, uh, you know, our YouTube channel. There's got to be a, close to a thousand videos on our YouTube channel. Um, oh, yeah. Of course, Instagram, even Snapchat. Um, so it's great. And, and one of the great things about it is images tell a big story. So the way something looks, puts it, it just makes people feel a certain way. If it looks cool, people are going to think it is cool. Right. And we have paid a ton of attention to video. So the way we do the video portion is I actually am lucky enough to have two student managers who are with us every year. And, you know, they graduate and new student managers come on board. And one of them I just put in charge of videography. And I challenged them to, to, to shoot our games, not like a whole field view, but like Steven Spielberg might shoot a game. Yep. And so uh, they get used to panning and zooming and they focus on the pitcher and then the ball's put in play. And then the camera moves to whoever our defender is making that play. And then we get them coming off the field and, and what's happening in the dugout. And, you know, when they're at the plate, they hit the ball and, you know, we pan to whatever runners are coming around the bases and we zoom. And, and then the first thing I do after every game is I set up shop on my couch and I cut a highlight video in um, iMovie. Wow. And that goes up on Instagram, uh, both as game highlights, but also individual highlights. When kids have had good games, it goes up on Twitter. And, you know, college coaches can't help see that. Pro scouts can't help but see that. 
uh, prospective students and baseball players can't help see the cool stuff that we're putting out there. Yeah. And it just, you know, it's a way for me to communicate with our current players as well. When, when I take the time to do all this stuff, it tells them, I care about you. Like, yeah. this is a big deal to me. I want everyone to know how amazing you are in addition to how I know how amazing you are. So there's a bunch of benefits that are attached to this. It's a, it's a good amount of time. Dan, I used to read a lot. And uh, basically, I just don't read anymore. Now I just trust <laughs> social media. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is awesome. Well, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll definitely, uh, when I'm t- promoting this podcast on our website at baseballjournal.com, I'll embed one of those just to show everybody what you're talking about and, you know, give them an example of how you can market and promote your programs because it is, it is huge. It's awesome. Um, yeah, Dan, I actually did a, did a, you know, I present every year at the World Baseball Coaches Convention um, at Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut. Yeah. And typically, you know, base running has become my, my sort of, uh, my trademark area of expertise out in the greater baseball world because we do some cool stuff. But last year I also did a presentation on, on how to market your program and like not only how to physically, like how to use, um, you know, Photoshop, how to use illustrator, uh, you know, things like that, but also just the benefits of it, how to, how to like plan, you know, an attack for, for creating a social media strategy and a branding strategy for a baseball program. And that was a lot of fun. It wasn't as well attended as the, as the session I did on base running, but it was, yeah. it was, it was fun and cool and unique nonetheless. Oh yeah. I'm sure coaches got a lot out of that. That's awesome. I, I should say we're on zoom right now. I see you wearing a Los Angeles Dodgers hat. Is that <laughs> uh, related to the world series? Or are you always a Dodgers fan? Well, Dan, I'm kind of a closet hipster. Um, so, you know, I like to wear Levi's 501s with like cuffs at the bottom and like <laughs> my LA Dodgers hat. Um, yeah. So I must confess this is more of a fashion choice when, when I purchased the hat. Uh, I got but you. hey, I like, I like the Dodgers style of play and they're playing well and the World Series has been great. So, you know, I figured why not throw on my Dodgers hat. Yeah, and I think all, you know all of us in New England are still Mookie Betts fans. It wasn't it wasn't really his uh, decision to leave. So I'm, I'm rooting for him too in the World Series. Well, I do have a vested interest in the Dodgers as well. Um, a player that I was able to coach at Amherst College uh, named Duncan Webb, who also came and coached with us here for a time at Andover. He was on a hiatus. He was he was part of the front office staff of the Boston Red Sox. Took a little bit of time off. When he took some time off, I grabbed him and I make him join. I made him join our coaching staff and join us on our Florida trip one year. Yeah. And then he loved it so much. He's like, I got to get back into pro baseball. So we took a job with the LA Dodgers. And uh, I can't remember his um, official title, but he's bilingual. He's also a, um, you know, like a like a, a psychologist, and so he works in a, with a lot of their Latin American uh, scouting and player development efforts. And Duncan sure. Webb, he's he's an up and coming rock star with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I got a vested interest in the Dodgers. That's awesome. Well, KG, it's been awesome having you on uh, the podcast. We'll definitely have you again. You're a great guest, and we're gonna check in with you. You know, maybe in the spring once things are starting up in uh, the prep season. But I really Dan appreciate Bian, you taking the time. Dan, being a guest on a podcast has been on my bucket list for so long. You have no idea. Yeah. So thank you so much. And like I say always to the guys, nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. So I appreciate the enthusiasm with which you host the podcast and everything you guys do with the New England Baseball Journal. Top notch. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for saying that. I appreciate it. And we'll look forward to having you on again. Hey everyone, if you're just discovering New England Baseball Journal through our podcast, be sure to check us out online at BaseballJournal.com, where you'll find daily content on the New England baseball scene with in-depth coverage on preps, high school, the youth game, college baseball, MLB draft, college commitments, the minors, summer leagues, and the pros, and a whole lot more. Right now, you can get an all-access plan, which includes unlimited access to our daily website, 
plus every issue of our print magazine delivered to your home, office, dorm, or clubhouse for only $99.99 per year. It's simple. Just log on to BaseballJournal.com and click on the subscribe button to find the subscription that's right for you. And get in the game with New England Baseball Journal. It's time to go around the diamond for a look at news items and nuggets from the New England baseball scene. For more insight on any of these news items, visit BaseballJournal.com. New York Yankees Northeast Regional Scout Matt Hyde has continued to produce showcase events into the fall season, with the most recent one on October 26th at New England Baseball Complex. That workout was for the top college players whose fall seasons are on hold due to the pandemic. A host of standouts from the Futures League took part in the closed workout, For more on that, visit BaseballJournal.com. The Northeastern University pitching staff figures to be one of the top groups in the nation this season, with sophomores Sebastian Keen and Cam Schittler coming off impressive, albeit shortened, freshman seasons. Still, the ace of the staff figures to be the returning redshirt senior Kyle Murphy, who held opponents to a 188 batting average as the Friday starter last season. To get a look at how Murphy spent his spring and summer, visit BaseballJournal.com. Finally, the New England Baseball Journal contributor John McGurk is continuing his prep baseball series, looking at the players to watch at each position. For more on any of these stories, visit BaseballJournal.com. Ty Blankmeyer is a Northeast Area Scout for the Milwaukee Brewers. The former St. John's University middle infielder was selected by the Cincinnati Reds in the 36th round of the 2016 MLB draft. Since his professional playing days came to an end, and particularly during the pandemic, he has helped New England players network with college coaches and recruiters. Ty, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. I initially heard your name or your name came up for the first time a few weeks ago or maybe even a few months ago now. Uh, I was doing a story on a Rhode Island player at Bishop Hendrick and Alex Clemmy, and uh, he was committing to Vanderbilt. And he told me a story that I guess you had set up a network Zoom with college baseball coaches that allowed him to develop a relationship with the Vanderbilt pitching coach, Scott Brown. How, how did you come up with the idea to do that? Yeah, so uh, I was just... Um eager to learn, learn more about, you know, pitching and that side of the game. And I, I had been blessed in that my father coached at St. John's and he coached great, with some great pitching coach and Scott Brown and Corey Mascara and George Brown, who's there now. And uh, along the scouting show, you meet a lot of great, you know, private sector pitching. Um, you know, some people call them gurus or whatever. But in the Northeast, it's really prevalent because – of the development inside and, and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of different um, facilities within the Northeast and New England ranks that I've come across and I've uh, been really impressed with and how their their ability to develop. And John DeRuin at Hops has done a tremendous job. And um, so he was on the Zoom call and, you know, and we had a bunch of other different um, private sectors, but uh, he had a, a young lefty that was I thought was going to be pretty good, and I connected him not only with uh, you know Coach Brown, but you know George Brown at St. John's and Corey Mascara, who was at St. John's and now at Maryland. And ultimately, he chose to uh, go to go to Vanderbilt. But ultimately, it was none other than kind of connecting good baseball minds with good baseball minds, and just trying to be a fly on the wall and uh, facilitate a good conversation to learn from. 
Yeah, that I mean, I can't believe when Alex was telling me about it, um, it you know, that that resulted in an offer for him. How does that work where, you know, just through a Zoom, the pitching coach is able to get a sense like, hey, this is a guy with a big upside who has the ability to pitch at this level? So I think what it does is the Zoom kind of like gets people to understand where they're coming from and their sense of development and where their barometer on talent is. Um, that That's the first thing it does. It kind of connects them. And this game is all about relationships, so it develops a relationship. Now, John DeRuin and Scott Brown probably had further conversation off the Zoom in one way or another. It was just more of a – the biggest thing that Zoom did for them, Alex Clemmy and John DeRuin and Vanderbilt, was it, it just connected them, really. It didn't do anything more or less. It just – connected them and uh, um, talked, you know, they were able to talk pitching development, but then they're able to, hey, say, hey, I got an arm here that, you know, has some upside. I'd like you to look at them. That's more or less what it what it was about. Um, so they probably had uh, several conversations off the, um, off the Zoom call, but the Zoom call is where it might have uh, started. Right. Yeah, and that's an interesting approach to take during the pandemic with so many guys. You know, the Zooms were the big thing. Uh, now, you know, you see guys returning to the field and getting back to it a little bit more, and there's some more scouting opportunities. But that was one way, you know, a good kind of innovation for you as a scout to connect people and work together. Uh, what are some other things that have changed from a scouting perse- uh, perspective since the start of the pandemic? You know what's great? Uh, th- there's there's some things that have changed in terms of like travel restrictions, but that's like everything. Um, I think the video scouting has changed. You know, you you got to be familiar with it and and learn how to how to do it. I mean, there's no replacement to seeing the player in person. And I think that I wouldn't say a change, but the one thing that this pandemic has um, really done from a scouting perspective just really makes you appreciate being there and being at the ballpark and you know seeing the players play live and really getting to take that in because you know this spring you know if any and if anything else it taught us that you know nothing's for certain so you just kind of appreciate being at the ballpark and take it in while while you can and um, try to try to make the most out of your looks while you can to to uh, to kind of kind of further your evaluation. Yeah, I really enjoyed do, doing some of that, too. I Not so much a scouting thing, but just to get back out to the ballpark this summer after sports had kind of stopped for for quite a while and, you know, March, April, May. And, um, you know, I went to some of those area code games, tryouts, a couple of Futures League games, and it was really uh, fun to see that level of that caliber of baseball, you know, on a, just on a local level. Um you became a scout in August of 2017. Uh, how did you get into it, and how did this summer compare from a scouting perspective to some of the other summers that you've had? So um, I got into it in 2017. I, I got released in about late June of uh, 2017 with the Reds, and they retained me as a um, as a. I was working in player development. I was basically an Arizona League coach, and I was enjoying doing that and learned a lot, and then. Um, I had a buddy who was an agent at the time who connected me with, uh, you know, the Brewers had an opening and I went and had a couple phone interviews and went in person to, uh, it was the area codes at the time. I, I just flew from Arizona and um, it brought me back home. And so that's, that's more or less how I got into it. I mean, I've had been around it. I grew up in a dugout with my dad my entire life. Um, so 
that helped. Um, and, you know, for, start, for, for your question about how it's changed from like this summer compared to my first couple summers was, I honestly think uh, the New England scouting group, Matt Hyde put together a great um, summer in um, getting us to have a different events and get to get some really quality looks with these high school players against futures league teams against the top town in the Northeast and new England. And, and there was a lot of great events that Matt Hyde put together with um, his young protege, Pete Flaherty. And it was, I think it was a culmination of like eight or nine events that we were able to scout and evaluate at. And, you know, it, it really made the summer great for the, given the circumstances. So Granted, it wasn't um, a, your typical summer, but I, I'm gonna tell you what—it might have been even better just just how it worked out this summer. Yeah, it was a lot of it was really interesting how many big time events there were and how uh, how Matt did make it easy for uh, uh, other scouts to kind of get looks at these guys, and it was great. You know, I I felt like I went to a few area code games tryouts. Obviously, you know, Josh Baez and Dennis Collar and kind of stood out from a New England perspective. Uh, Futures League, there were guys like, you know, that normally would be playing on the Cape, you know, Sal Frelick and Cody Morissette. Um, UConn's Ben Kasparius uh, had a really good summer. He ended up being the top pitching pro pitching prospect in the Futures League. And uh, even Dominic Keegan, you know, came up from Vandy. He's a local guy. I think he's from Methuen, but he even played in the Futures League, which he probably wouldn't have done had it uh, had the Cape League not been canceled. Who were some of the guys that stood out to you this summer? Well, uh, I mean, you name the names. I mean, those those guys, you know, all stood out. I mean, this is a, you know, I'm I'm very young at this, but I think this is a, a banner year in the Northeast and New England. But you know, you even got kids that are going to UConn, like Mac Darbowski and you know Miles Langhorn, who's you know going to Vanderbilt. You know, Aiden Finitary is very good. Ryan Higgins. John Santucci. So there are a number of names that kind of stood out in the, in the New England area that, you know, throughout the, the summer I've been at different events and, and kind of uh, been able to been exposed and seen. Yeah, those guys did. They, they looked really good. Jack Tenney was another Andover guy that was at area code tryouts all summer. Uh, they had Yvonne Arias, who's who's at Dexter. Dexter right now is going to be loaded. Uh, they have Baez, Arias, and... Um, Matt Conti is a freshman catcher coming up who's probably the best catcher at his in his grade level. So um yeah, Dexter is gonna be really good. What what programs are you gonna get out to see this fall or like what what are you allowed to do as a scout this fall? Uh it's been pretty good. I mean, I've you know, there's limits and you could see different college organizations, college programs within reason. Um, but um you kind of gotta make make do of it, you know, Northeastern's been doing stuff, you know, Boston College has been doing stuff. I mean, there's been some uh, college D2, D, D3 events that, you know, Matt Hyde and Pete Flaherty have put together. Um, so it's been, it's been, we've been pretty lucky, you know, I've, you know, St. John's, Seton Hall, they've all been able to, UConn, I've all been able to get on campus and kind of within, um, um, proper safety precautions you've been able to see those schools so it's been it's been we've been really blessed up here yeah it's interesting because some of those colleges you mentioned i feel like they have multiple prospects which is unusual for new england because even last year you know nobody from new england 
it was a five round draft, so it was different, but uh, you know, nobody got taken up here. UConn, I think, you know, Kasparius is obviously a pro prospect. Pat Winkle is, you know, coming back from an injury, but before he got hurt, he was, you know, looked at, viewed as a high draft pick. Northeastern's got uh, the guys this year with Jared Dupree and, you know, some of those guys, but they've also got next year following them, uh, Sebastian Keen, mm-hmm. Schlichter, um, do you feel like there? It's unusual to be able to go to these college campuses and see so many pro prospects up here in New England. I don't. I don't because uh, spending time and getting to know the coaches, the Mike Glavins, the Jim Penders, the Mike Gambinos of the world, and and there's no, there's like these guys are going to help keep baseball in the Northeast and New England strong. Um, they're going to do a good job of keeping players home. Um, within you know the the facilities at UConn and Boston College are um, starting to to build and almost done with I think we're going to start to see that help us out and have more kids stay home there's going to be this might be a great year but I think there's just going to be more and more of it because you know we love going to the schools down south and you know whatever but I think these these programs are going to continue to get better and and um and and develop more prospects and what what's going to happen here is it's going to start to give back to the northeast and other programs because it's going to be a com- more competitive uh, competitive balance if you will so um we have our waves in the northeast i, I i'd say but i think um with those guys the those coaches i think they're going to do a great job and keeping players and the right players home so i i, I um that's what i believe and you know i I saw my father do it for years at St. John's, so um, there's no reason they can. And you know, I I, I think uh, I think it's just a testament to the good baseball uh, coaches and people we have in the Northeast. To to I think it's going to be shown here in the next couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a good point that you make about those guys taking so much pride in keeping those players home. And uh, keeping New England stocked with, you know, pro prospects and just good players at the college level. Uh, one thing about those, all three of those guys that they have in common is they're all coaching at their alma maters. Uh, Penders went to UConn, Gambino went to BC, and Glavin went to Northeastern. So I think that, you know, helps in, in d- establishing that sense of pride in the program. And I think all three of them are able to sell those programs really well with, you know, their ex- their own experiences playing there as well as, the experiences of developing pro prospects there. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, and and there's, I, I know it hasn't all been confirmed yet, or some stuff still up in the air for next year. Like I said, the 2020 MLB draft was shortened to five rounds, and a lot of that had to do with economics and baseball, minor league baseball was kind of non-existent this year. The 2021 draft, like I said, it looks pretty loaded from a New England perspective. I know it, I know they've confirmed that the draft is going to be held uh, during All-Star weekend in mid-July, so that, that'll definitely be different from most years when it's in early June. Are you planning for a 40-round draft next year, or has that been confirmed yet? All I know is it's a minimum 20 rounds. Right. Um, so that's all, that's all I really know right now. The more rounds, the better, honestly, but... Um... You know, the, the bright side of it is, like you said, it's a good year in the Northeast. And um, it's, it seems like there's going to be some players taken out, out of this area. So, you know, it's, it's exciting. Yeah. And now how does it change for you? Like, you know, I would imagine last year 
you have all these scouts who are out in their, in their different areas and they're trying to set their boards and rank guys, you know, one through 40 or kind of put draft grades on guys. And then all of a sudden it gets shortened to five rounds and you're probably not uh, seeking input from guys as much who are d- scouting up in the Northeast because you're like, hey, it's only a five round draft. I don't think we have that the, the depth in the draft to get to those Northeast guys this year. How does it change for you when the draft gets shortened and how what are, how will it change this year if it goes down to 20? It's a good question. I, I, I don't really have the answer to that, but um, it changed. Like, so I'll say this, the relationships always are going to matter. So um, with, with it's getting shortened, you know, I, you know, it's, it's not like, Oh, I'm still going to connect with those kids that, and those coaches that might have players that would have went in the 11 to 20. You never know what can happen um, this year, you know, just to kind of, see where they're at, see where their head's at, you know, and, and kind of continue that relationship and continue to inspire them. And, you know, it might not, might not be looking great this year, but, you know, you always, you, you know, there's a, there's a purpose and there's a reason for everything and you got to continue to keep getting better because everyone's path to professional baseball in the big leagues is different. So, um, and this is going to be all part of their paths, you know, those kids that were passed up because of the five round draft. So that's one thing I just kind of keep in mind, but, um, this year, I think, you know, I think it's going to be a good year. I think there's a lot of good players in the New England. I think um, we're going to, like I said, we're going to be seeing a lot of them taken. And and the other thing that's exciting about it is you, you look at, you know, New England as a whole, and just you could think about the Mike Vassals, the Ryan Kusicks, the Stephen Hadgers of the world that, that have went on to other places that, you know, you might be hearing their names called this spring, among others. So, you know. Not to mention, you know, the, the New England kids that have went on and, and kind of, you know, established themselves somewhere else. But their ties are still here in New England and in the Northeast. And it just shows there's a lot of good players from this area. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good point that, you know, at the top of our we did our rankings of the top guys. And, you know, those guys are right up there with, you know, it's tough to rank them because, you know, somebody could fall in love with Steve Hazier. He's a um he went to Central Catholic here and he's from North Andover. He's a left-handed pitcher at Michigan who was 3-0 and last spring with a 2.70 ERA. Like you said, Vassals at Virginia, he was throwing 96 last spring. He was 2-0 and with a 2.45 ERA. And then you've got, you know, Sal Frelick is potentially, you know, first, second round guy. Cody Morissette's going to be way up there. Cusick, like you mentioned, he's down in Wake Forest. So it's it's a pretty loaded draft. And then, you know, I didn't even mention Mason Pelio at BC or, you know, Brand- Brendan Tinsman. He's a Cape Elizabeth, Maine native. He's down at Wake Forest. So there's a lot of guys. Pat Winkle, Dominic Keegan, Ben Kasparius, I all mentioned. Those are all guys who are probably going to end up going higher than the first. You know, last year was a five-round draft, and we didn't see anybody from New England get drafted. All all 11 of those guys are potential, you know, guys who could go in, in the first five rounds this year. So it is, it is hopefully going to be a loaded draft and hopefully we'll all be able to get out in the spring and see those guys play. Ty, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. It's always uh, interesting to hear from a scouting perspective how things are looking in the Northeast and I think we're on the same page. It's going to be an exciting year in the Northeast to be a scout. But uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much. Thanks again for listening to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform and get updates every time a new podcast drops. Thanks to Kevin Graber and Ty Blankmeyer for joining the pod this week. 
The New England Baseball Journal podcast is a Siemens Media podcast.